Why Catholic is made possible by generous patrons. If you're blessed by this podcast, consider supporting it by purchasing something from the Why Catholic merch shop on Etsy. Link is in the show notes. Original designs on sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats, decals, and more. Stay tuned to the end of this episode to hear how you can get a special discount. Thanks for supporting Why Catholic. As you probably know by now, I didn't grow up Catholic. I spent most of my life in the Baptist tradition. One of the things that always weirded me out about Catholics is how much Catholic stuff they had in their homes. Crucifixes, rosaries, icons, statues. When I worked at a Catholic school while also being an evangelical pastor, we were getting ready for accreditation and the principal told the teachers, make sure there's a crucifix in every classroom. You might find a picture of Jesus or a cross in a Protestant's home, but that's about all. Yet walk into a Catholic's home and there's statues and crucifixes and icons and all sorts of stuff. Shortly after I became Catholic, my brother-in-law, who was visiting, said, you're not going to fill your house with all sorts of Catholic paraphernalia, are you? I said, no, because even though I was newly Catholic, I still thought that stuff was a bit weird and, to be honest, a little superstitious. Sometime after my conversion to Catholicism, there was a season where I was feeling a lot of spiritual warfare. It felt like demonic oppression. I went to confession and I shared with my priest what was going on, and he suggested a number of things, including prayer and meditation, but also these things called sacramentals. He said, it probably sounds a little bit kitschy, but it's important to have things like Benedict medals in your home. I looked at him like he had five eyeballs. I had no idea what he was talking about. Where can I find these things? I asked. He told me that I could buy them from Amazon or Etsy or pretty much anywhere, but what was important is that I brought them to him to be blessed. That night, desperate to keep my family safe from the spiritual warfare I was sensing, I scoured the internet to learn about this thing called sacramentals, and then I went on a shopping spree, purchasing crucifixes and Benedict medals for the doors, basins for holy water by our front door, and so forth. The next week, I brought a giant plastic bag full of rosaries and medals to church and asked my pastor to bless them. I then took them home and put St. Benedict medals on keychains, hung the St. Benedict medals and crucifixes on the outside doors, and placed basins for holy water in our entryway. Oh boy, I thought, just wait until my brother-in-law comes to visit. He's going to think I went off the deep end. Hi, this is Justin Hibbert, and you're listening to Why Catholic, my podcast about the what and why of Catholicism. Since episode 51, we've been focusing on the phrase from the Nicene Creed, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We've been searching for the meaning behind each of these words. Today, I want to focus our attention on the word apostolic, and we're going to answer two questions. What does it mean to be apostolic? And why is the nature of an apostolic church important? Now, going back to my original story, when I was a Protestant, I always thought of Catholic icons and crucifixes as superstitious. But there was something important that I didn't realize. While the actual crucifixes, the medals, the icons are important in and of themselves, what makes them especially effective is that they are blessed by a bishop or a priest. Why is that important? Let me give you a little illustration. One Sunday, my family and I visited a Maronite Catholic church, which is an Eastern Catholic church, something I talked about in episode 63. When it came time for the sign of peace, Maronites do this really neat ritual. A couple of children come up to the front and put their hands together. The deacon or priest then puts his hands on the outside of their hands, and they pull their hands out from his, almost like they're taking something tangible from him. Then they go to the first person in each aisle who puts their hands together, and then the children put 
put their hands on the outside of those people's hands. Then the first person in the aisle turns to the person next to them and repeats this process all the way to the end of the aisle. And it's like this tangible sign of peace is being passed throughout the congregation, beginning with the priest or the deacon. When we got into the car, I asked my kids what they thought about that. It was a very different practice than our typical handshake or wave or peace sign that we do in our Roman Catholic church. They liked it. You know what was really profound about that gesture, I asked? The priest's hands were blessed by his eparch or bishop, and that priest's hands were blessed by the pope, and that pope's hands were blessed by the previous pope, and so on and so forth, going all the way back to the apostles and ultimately Jesus. There is something sacramental about touch. When Jesus healed, he most often did it through touch. When the woman with a bleeding disorder reached out and touched the hem on Jesus' garment, she was immediately healed. When people were baptized, they were touched by the person performing the baptism. When the apostles laid hands on those newly baptized Christians, they received the Holy Spirit. When someone was ordained, those with the authority laid hands on them. As human beings, we need touch, and God uses that human connection to transfer his power and his blessing. Think of it like a sourdough starter. Some people have a sourdough starter that's been passed down through their family generation after generation. A sourdough starter is a symbiotic community of lactic acid, bacteria, and wild yeast. In the same way, this passing down of peace enhances this symbiotic communion called the church that has existed for nearly 2,000 years. When that priest passes on the sign of peace, he is connecting us with the communion of saints. We see this also with sacramentals and relics. For example, in Acts 19, 11-12, it says, quote, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that when the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them, end quote. The very clothes that touched Paul were then distributed and used to heal people of sicknesses and demonic possession. In Catholicism, we have a practice of relics. I'll expound on this more in a later episode, but to give a brief overview, relics are divided into three classifications. A first-class relic is a body part of a saint, such as a bone, blood, or flesh. Second-class relics are possessions that a saint owned, and third-class relics are objects that have been touched to a first- or second-class relic, or that object has been touched to a saint. So in the case of St. Paul's garments, this would be considered a second-class relic. In our church, we have a painting of Our Lady of Guadalupe. It's actually a third-class relic because the painting itself touched the original tunic of the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico. By the way, if you'd like to learn more about Our Lady of Guadalupe, check out episode 24. The underlying foundation of relics is that the power of God is transferred by touch. And this brings me to this understanding of apostolic. There are a lot of Protestants who say the Nicene Creed. They say that they believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, but they define apostolic as following the teaching of the apostles. While following the teaching of the apostles is important, this is not what the church fathers meant when they said the true church was apostolic. Consider what Tortullian said in his work, Prescription Against Heretics, something I also quoted in episode 66. Quote, the apostles founded churches in every city from which all the other churches, one after another, derived the tradition of the faith and the seeds of doctrine, and are every day deriving them, that they may become churches. 
Indeed, it is on this account only that they will be able to deem themselves apostolic as being the offspring of apostolic churches. Every sort of thing must necessarily revert to its original for its classification. Therefore, the churches, although there are so many and so great, comprise but the one primitive church founded by the apostles from which they all spring. In this way, all are primitive and all are apostolic, while they are all proved to be one in unity. End quote. Skipping a little further ahead, he continues, quote, Then let all the heresies, when challenged to these two tests by our apostolic church, offer the proof of how they deem themselves to be apostolic. But in truth, they neither are so, nor are they able to prove themselves to be what they are not. Nor are they admitted to peaceful relations and communion by such churches as are in any way connected with apostles, inasmuch as they are in no sense themselves apostolic because of their diversity as to the mysteries of the faith. End quote. In other words, when a random fellow claimed to be a leader of a church, they would simply ask them, who ordained you and put you in charge? And who ordained that person and put them in charge? If their answers didn't demonstrate an unbroken line to the apostles, then they weren't a legitimate leader, and their church was also illegitimate. It was not a part of the Catholic Church. Yes, following the teaching of the apostles is important, but to be apostolic in the fullest and original sense of the meaning— is that a church is able to trace the line of ordination all the way back to the apostles. Here's what Pope Clement I had to say about apostolic succession in his letter to the Corinthians written around 80 AD. Quote, Through countryside and city, the apostles preached and they appointed their earliest converts, testing them by the Spirit to be the bishops and deacons of future believers. Nor was this a novelty, for bishops and deacons had been written about a long time earlier. Our apostles knew through our Lord Jesus Christ that there would be strife for the office of bishop. For this reason, therefore, having received perfect foreknowledge, they appointed those who have already been mentioned and afterwards added the further provision that if they should die... Other approved men should succeed to their ministry. End quote. So why is the apostolic succession important? The answer is authority and legitimacy. In the Bible, authority is never taken by legitimate leaders. It is always given and received. No one legitimately just took the priesthood. No, God gave it to Aaron and it was passed down and bestowed on other priests. Peter didn't just say, hey guys, I'm in charge. No, Jesus gave Peter and the apostles his authority. We see this with the sign of peace. The children didn't just come forward and demand peace in that Marianite Catholic Church. No, the priest gave it to the children, and they distribute it to the congregation. This is the root issue I have most with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormons. Joseph Smith just popped up one day and said, the historic Christian church is apostate, and God has given me the priesthood. And when we ask the question, who on earth with legitimate authority gave Joseph Smith that priesthood? The answer is no one. When we apply that same standard to Protestant denominations, the answer is the same. Consider what St. Augustine had to say about this in 397 AD. Quote, there are many other things which most properly can keep me in the Catholic Church's bosom. The unanimity of peoples and nations keeps me here. Her authority, inaugurated miracles, nourished by hope, augmented by love, and confirmed by her age keeps me here. 
the succession of priests from the very sea of the Apostle Peter, to whom the Lord after his resurrection gave the charge of feeding his sheep, up to the present episcopate, keeps me here. And last, the very name Catholic, which not without reason belongs to this church alone, in the face of so many heretics, so much so that, although all heretics want to be called Catholic, when a stranger inquires where the Catholic Church meets, none of the heretics would dare to point out his own basilica or house. End quote. In the mainstream evangelical world, it's common nowadays for people to just go and start their own churches under no authority but their own. They just do it. But this isn't a biblical concept at all. In the Bible, we explicitly see this laying on of hands and an appointment of leaders by someone ordained by the apostles. If you were to ask one of these pastors of an independent church who gave you the authority to start a church, most would say God. They felt called by God to start their particular church. And while that may or may not be true, the Bible demonstrates that the church always validates such a calling. This is why the church authenticates things like miracles. It's not to be skeptical. It's to legitimize the supernatural. Which are you more likely to believe? Someone who alone says, God did this miracle for me. Or someone who claims a miracle that has been investigated and validated by the church. The same is true with ordination. Does this mean that God doesn't use these pastors or these churches that don't have the authority provided through means of the apostolic succession? No, not necessarily. God can use whomever and whatever to accomplish his purposes. The church is limited to the sacraments. God is not. But the church was never meant to operate without apostolic authority. Uh, to use an analogy, it's like an engine and motor oil. The engine was never meant to run without oil. So let's ask another why. Why should apostolic succession and the church go together? The answer is unity. As St. Clement I pointed out, Jesus knew there would be power struggles. In the same way that we have a civil process for appointing government leaders, so too do we need a civil process for appointing leaders in the church. We also need unity of teaching. We'll talk about this more in the next episode on church tradition, but the church is meant to be continuous, or to use another word related to unity, the church is to have continuity. We who are alive today are not merely the church. No, the church is universal and that extends beyond time and space. We are caretakers of Jesus's teaching given to the apostles and passed down through the generations. And people were appointed specifically because those leaders felt that they could be entrusted with the apostles teaching and authority. What I love so much about being a part of the Catholic Church is that it's a church with leaders who have been appointed in apostolic succession. When I receive the Eucharist from a priest or a deacon, his hands have been blessed by the bishop, whose hands were blessed by the pope, whose hands were blessed by the previous pope, all the way back to the apostles who received the bread and wine from Jesus himself on the night he was betrayed and arrested. When I take holy water from our church and put it in a basin in my home, it's not merely water. It's like a sourdough starter that's 2,000 years old. Keep that in mind next time you dip your hands in holy water when entering the nave for Mass. We aren't just doing an empty ritual. We are receiving the blessing of touch passed down from Jesus to the apostles, to the bishops they appointed, and the bishops they appointed all the way to the bishops and presbyters today. 
Doesn't that bring a whole other layer of meaning to our rich Catholic and apostolic faith? Thank you for joining me for Why Catholic. Be sure to subscribe to Why Catholic wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my Substack site and get the next episode in your email inbox. As a subscriber, you get a special discount code to the Why Catholic Etsy store. If you've been blessed by this podcast and you're feeling generous, there's also a way to financially support it. And patrons get some extra perks. To become a free subscriber or a patron, just go to whycatholic.substack.com slash subscribe. Also join me on Instagram at whycatholicpodcast, all one word. Thanks again for listening. My name is Justin Hibbard, and this is Why Catholic. God bless you.